Sorry, the energy is at an all-time low today. I've been fucking running around like crazy, so I'm not as chipper as normal, which is great because we're talking about the we're talking about uh, Billy Holiday, which is definitely not as high energy as a band like War or something like that. We, we no, it's not. It's not. Congratulations. Uh, you found volume four of the Rock of Shame podcast, the roughest, toughest, newest musical discovery podcast in the universe. I am your host, the bad boy Bryce Reed. I am joined by the evil genius, Greg Plord. I'm not sure about evil or genius, but uh, I'm decent. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, you, you rate low, I rate high. Uh, and the stream daddy, Drew Peak is also here with us today. What's up, chat? Type poggers if you're here with us right now. Ooh, daddy. <laughs> give, us a little, give us a little bit of the energy. That's nice. I like that. Uh, if you're new to the show, let me give you the good news. Each week, these three uh, g- contemptible men of low moral fiber and sometimes guests uh, select a musical artist or group that we've never really listened to. And we spend the whole week immersing ourselves in the art and the culture and the world of that artist, only to return here the following week and tell you all about it. You can listen along with us, and soon we will incorporate ways for the folks at home to be more a part of the action. But the best way to do that right now is that you can watch the show recorded live every Wednesday night over at twitch.tv slash thickboydrewski. If you want to help us grow and support the show, there's only one way, and that's to let the world know. Share us on Facebook, tell your friends, tweet us at Rock of Shame. But most importantly, for now, just subscribe on any podcast platform that you listen to and listen along with us every week. We start the show every week by talking about sort of new music that came out. Um, I'm going to start with Greg here uh, to sort of talk about new stuff, if there's any new stuff that you were jamming on. There was uh, quite a bit, but I will attempt to keep it brief so I don't eat up a shit ton of time here. Uh, You're fun. We got all the time in the world, baby. We own the network. Uh, yeah, you got me. All right. Uh, let me see. There was a single that came out from uh, UK rapper Little Sims. Uh, she's she's about 27, came out with a record back in 2019 that was really good. I guess she's coming out with a new one in September, and her new single is Introvert, and this thing is probably in my top five singles of the year so far. It's very heavily orchestrated, like an actual orchestra is involved and her verses about uh, introspection, depression, and being an introvert, but then trying to expand in like the greater world of womanhood. I think it was just a really excellent blend of things all around. I would highly recommend checking that out. Um, an EP that came out was a uh, Caracato Benino. Uh, it was a, just a three-song EP called Civilization 2, but it's some really awesome uh, kind of poppy synth rock kind of stuff. Um, very energetic and uh, very, very earwormy. Uh, let's see, and then a couple albums. Oh, fun fact. Uh, of course, it's the episode after Chemical Brothers, but they just came out with a new single. I um, saw that this week. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't that bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's... Not like the first four records. What do you expect? <laughs> but, but for what it is, I mean, it's it was pretty solid. I enjoyed it. I had it on my playlist. Um, let's see. Uh, an album that I would recommend 
is uh, Vinny Paz's Burn Everything That Bears Your Name. He is a hardcore rapper. Um, he's been in the game for well over 20, I think 30 years at this point. Uh, this is, he only started doing solo albums in 2010. And this one, it is 22 tracks long. It's about an hour and nine minutes. And he does tend to be mostly along the lines of very violent mafia style hip hop and revolves around religion, Satanism, and world politics kind of things. But um, while it's a little bit one-dimensional in that regard, it is still a hell of a fun ride. I probably would have loved it more if it was just a little bit trimming the fat, but for what it is, Vinny Paz is still an incredible MC. So for people who really want some hardcore hip-hop, check him out. And what was I'm he originally in again, Greg, for the people Jedi at Jedi Mind Tricks. Oh, Jedi yeah, Mind Jedi Tricks Mind and Tricks. Army of Pharaohs, who... Jedi Mind Tricks... Um, I know two of the records um, very well because I bought one when I was in high school and then the other one in 2015 is probably my favorite record of theirs, but I've only listened to two records of theirs. So if we want to do them for a future episode, that would be dope. Anyway, I'm done. (laughs) Drew, how about you, Bryce? I don't want to talk. Go in it. <laughs> uh, 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 the single that I listened to this week was the new one from the Bronx, uh, Super Bloom, off of their new record, uh, The Bronx Six, which is dropping in a couple of months. Pre-orders are already up for that. Uh, I talked about the first single that they dropped because it dropped the week that we did episode zero, I think. Um, and now here on episode four, they've dropped another one called Super Bloom. It's fucking great. If you love the Bronx style of, uh, sort of like kind of poppy, um, sort of hardcore punk influenced, um, like strange mix between sort of radio rock and punk stuff, they're like, they're every time they put out a record, it's like, yep, it's, it's more great versions of fucking that. Uh, and, uh, I love it. Uh, and particularly with this single, I was, um, more taken with it than the first single. I think it's really good and I'm excited for the album, which is good because my pre-order is already in. Uh, other than that, I haven't really listened to anything new. I got tricked because that, that, uh, body count music video dropped, right? And they were like, oh, check out the music video. It fucking dropped. It's a song off of their last record. I was like, I think Yeah, I've that was back in before. March of last year. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's off a of Car- it's one of the songs of a carnivore which came out last year i was like i knew that i'd heard it before and so i was like yeah. oh i'll talk about this on the show and then i was like oh no it's fucking old yeah. it's like old shit it's definitely one of my favorite songs off that record i think probably my favorite was the uh collaboration um there were a few collaborations on there with uh oh god what what's the band uh it was the vocalist from Power Trip, and uh, may he rest in peace. He unfortunately yeah. passed away last year. But mm-hmm. uh, that particular song was just amazing. Oh, point the finger, point the finger. That was the song. Uh, I liked uh, a lot of the songs off Bloodlust a little more than I liked off of uh, uh, Carnival. I did too. I think the production was a little bit better overall, also on Bloodlust. On those but... last two records, on 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 Bloodlust and um, Mans Manslaughter is the one before it. Manslaughter's yeah got awesome songs on it that talk shit gets shot i just put that on in the morning every morning and just live it you know (laughs) it's a beautiful day talk shit get shot (laughs) so good drew what about you buddy you hear anything new to this week man no i did not (laughs) (laughs) 
Dude, I Man, no. I have been like so goddamn busy. Like I wish I had made more time for just listening to music and shit. But sure. I just, you know, I just I mean, well, honestly, I heard some really great artists like at some things when I was in New York and they told me the artist names and stuff and I was like, this is really cool. And then I just didn't put down any of the names. So it was just kind of like in the moment, really great. And then, um, but man, you know what's still out and available right now for your streaming pleasure for free to listen to and to download two of those three songs is uh, the Drewski Fix Tape, which is a three-track release of some originals by none other than me, Drewski, that you can get on my SoundCloud at official Drewski. So go check that out if you haven't already. Drew, it's 2021. It's a week old. It's old shit. Nobody wants it's old to hear shit it now. now. Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> it takes me it's, like six months to get it done, and uh, it's a, it's old within a week. It's officially been pushed out of the news cycle. If you want people to pay attention, you got to make more stuff. Okay, that's how it works. Exactly. But yeah, it's a good time to to plug a song that was uh that I released back in college called Beefcake. With my band Six Feet to Heaven. <laughs> you might as well. You might as well. It's as old news as fucking something from a week old now. From, That's just my, how the world my works. Thick tape, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but do check. Well, but people listening do check out the mixtape. It is dope yes, as shit. I can confirm. Yes. Check it out. And uh, Drew is an awesome dude, so check out his awesome music. There you go. Guys. I like Drew too. Uh, but it's good that, uh, that maybe there isn't a lot of stuff here because I think we have a great conversation ahead of us with our cover artist this week billy holiday um who i'm gonna make sure that i get through the wikipedia description first before we kick to anybody uh i'm i've i am more excited for the conversation we are about to have than any conversation we have had on this show previously uh for a number of different reasons so let's get right to it Rock of Shame, Volume 4, Billy Holiday. Eleonora Fagan, April 7th, 1915 through July 17th, 1959, known professionally as Billy Holiday, was an American jazz and swing music singer, nicknamed Lady Day by her friend and music partner, Lester Young. Holiday had an innovative influence on jazz music and pop singing. Her vocal style, strongly inspired by jazz instrumentalists, pioneered a new way of manipulating phrasing and tempo. She was known for her vocal delivery and improvisational skills. After a turbulent childhood, Holiday began singing in nightclubs in Harlem, where she was heard by producer John Hammond, who commended her voice. She signed a recording contract with Brunswick in 1935. Collaborations with Teddy Wilson yielded the hit What a Little Moonlight Can Do, which became a jazz standard. Throughout the 1930s and 40s, Holiday had mainstream success on labels such as Columbia and Decca. By the late 1940s, however, she was beset with legal troubles and drug abuse. After a short prison sentence, she performed a sold-out concert at Carnegie Hall, but her reputation deteriorated because of her drug and alcohol problems. She was a successful concert performer throughout the 1950s with two further sold-out shows at Carnegie Hall. Because of personal struggles and an altered voice, her final recordings were met with mixed reactions, but were mild commercial successes. Her final album, 
Lady in Satin was released in 1958. Holiday died of cirrhosis on July 17, 1959 at age 44. She won four Grammy Awards, all of them posthumously, for Best Historical Music Album. Uh, she was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame and the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. Several films about her life have been released. And before I move to, I think we'll start with Drew because I went last last time. Uh, I want to read this quote. Quote, with few exceptions, every major pop singer in the u.s during her generation has been touched in some way by her genius it is billy holiday who was and still remains the greatest single musical influence on me lady day is unquestionably the most important influence on american popular singing in the last 20 years end quote uh that comes to us from frank sinatra um Drew, I want to start with you. Uh, first, what exactly you took in from Lady Day this week and then what you ended up uh, uh, feeling about all of it. So I basically just went all over the place with her catalog. Um, sure. I, you know, I was sort of busy this week, but um, let's see here. I base. let me pull up my notes here. So Billie Holiday, like I, I started with just on my drive down to New York, I started with um, just popular songs uh, in like the top list on Spotify because I just did not know where to start with her because, you know, as you mentioned, like, you know, she didn't really have much say in like how album like organization would go. A lot of them came out in singles, you know, uh, for how it was printed and pressed at the time. And, so uh, histor historically, this is just something that needs to be explained before you go any further. And that's, why don't you do it? She, because you would explain it much more accurately than I would. So. She started out during the '78 era of '78 RPM lacquer records. Have either of you ever used '78 RPM lacquer records? No, I have not, but I do know the history of them. Yeah, so. I have, by providence of my great-grandparents having a, a wind-up Victrola 78 lacquer machine that they would use occasionally. Although it's important to note, as a technology, the 78 lacquer records are a fucking proof of concept at best. There are so many things about them that are fucking awful. They're super heavy. They have like three minutes aside, which is probably why we're kind of used to songs being three minutes at this point um, in our history, which is kind of interesting. It's also uh, interesting. The word album comes from because they were only three minutes aside. It would be when you would pick up a collection of songs that would be album length, it would be four or five 78 records in literally like a book that you would pick up. Um, but you could use a needle to listen to like four records and then you had to toss it and get a new needle. Like the 33 RPM record that we're used to now took all of the really big fucking problems with the medium with the 78 RPM records and fix them uh, to enough of, course, of a when degree. when they started out, they were fucking pricey as hell, too. Like, yeah. it was a luxury to have those things in which now yeah. we look back and go, this was shit. And, and more than that, they sound awful. Like, they, they <laughs> genuinely sound awful. <laughs> and mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you can even hear it in the MP3 transfers from them, which end up on Spotify now. Like, they don't, they, they, they sound awful. Um, mm -hmm. But they sound almost as bad as like early Motorhead. It's crazy. <laughs> ah, yeah, piece of shit. <laughs> uh, they, uh, 
And so she comes out of that 78 era where they didn't go in and record songs. They went in and recorded what they would call sides. And sides would be you were trying to fill out a side of a 78 RPM record. And so most of these songs uh, during her heyday exist in that point. And the unfortunate thing about her is by the time technology kind of comes along to really capture her, it's in the 50s. And I think everyone would agree that it that by the 50s, her voice pretty quickly falls off a cliff. Um, mostly due to the fact that she, uh, uh, she openly stated uh, a carton of cigarettes a day used to be like kind of her average. Um, uh, mixed with the yep. uh, polyps from nightclub singing and heavy drinking and heavy drug use and all of these things that we're going to talk about. But yeah, uh, a lot of her work is 78s. And as a result, the collections are kind of the best stuff to stick to, but uh, generally, her fucking Spotify discography is a mess. It's a mess. Oh, yeah, it's uh, a fucking clusterfuck. There, <laughs> there are a bunch of records that are different records from different labels, but have the same fucking title. And, <laughs> and uh, well, well, because those compilations got, like, you know, licensed off to each of these different labels at any given time. Sure, it was just sure. kind of a big old clusterfuck of, hey, well, we got these masters. We're going to re-release them on CD. Well, how about so, these ones? We're going to re-release them on CD. And, so if you've listened along this week, and, and certainly from Drew's perspective, I can completely understand where he was like, I didn't have any fucking idea where to go. I was maybe halfway through the week before I was like, oh, okay, this is the stuff that I should be listening to probably. Um, so, uh, go ahead, Drew, tell us, tell us, uh, how you managed to tackle it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically how I sort of tackled it. I just, um, I found the DECA singles volume one and two. Uh, I mm -hmm. was able to deep dive into those pretty heavily because it had like a lot of stuff there. Um, like one was circa 45 to 49 and then 49 to 51. And that mm -hmm. kind of felt like the best stuff from her that I could fine too so i mean like that's probably what i'll wind up talking about the most anyways and like yeah take the same kind of approach as it was with like you know the chemical brothers with how like the earlier stuff kind of kind of banged you know and then like it got a little <laughs> less good as it went on um sure. but yeah i mean that's that's kind of how it went with me um also though for me like and this is gonna be probably just me i feel like um the really really early stuff was like all I could think of was like that joke that Nick Swardson made about how um he was like basically like when like an old old person goes like uh you know like these were the songs that we listened to to party and then he just for like about a minute straight he just goes <laughs> and like it's just so like he's <laughs> just making fun of how painful I was like. And then, like, you know, when we get older, it's going to be like, this. there's the music I listened to when I met your mother. Like, bitch, bitch, suck my dick. Hold with the motherfucking like, <laughs> right. And, like, just, like, it, I, I just felt so fucking old listening to it. And, like, a we lot of those. used to party rock. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, going down to New York, it was, like, I listened to a lot of the top ones. And there were some really good ones in the top ones. But when I started going to the really early stuff, and I'm, like. 
passing people who are like banging reggaeton like and like just all this different shit around me and it's getting really hectic and i'm having to focus on driving like i thought it was gonna have this like soothing effect but it made me like more anxious so i had to put on like more like badass music to get like locked in with my driving and shit because like it was just too mellow and i felt myself getting kind of like sleepy and just like feeling like grandma was about to tuck me in and give me a blankie and like i was just like i gotta yeah billy holiday was not driving music for me i don't know that i would ever suggest it as drive music it's more like sitting in a chair with a robe on music a hundred percent it is like yes like that is the best way to describe it grab yourself a scotch tumbler put whatever you want in it and just fucking sit back and listen and just lamp uh, really hard yeah 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 big so time, big time i think that being said that's why i have to say for me like, it was hard for me to get into Billy Holiday this week because of how crazy my week was. That every sure. time I'd listen to it, I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, hurry up. Like, <laughs> do your thing. Come on. But, like, I got to say, like, vocal-wise, god damn. Like, the most unique voice <laughs> I have ever heard. Like, ever. Like, it was the same experience of, like, what I – it's, like, the same sort of, like – what the fuck that I got from when I heard Janice Joplin for the first time. Like, mm -hmm. it was just like, who the fuck? Like, what? Like, when I heard her voice, I was just like, this is so unique. And like, and I almost kind of felt like it could be taken the same way Janice Joplin was, where it was just like, people really, really loved how unique it was. Or they were like, this just sounds so different. And like, I'm just not into it. Yeah. Because like, there were like, what she would do with it. Like, it almost was like, kind of witchy or like, kind of like, I don't know. It just, you know, it definitely was – she really went melodically in ways that I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. It was it was really interesting in that regard. Um, I know it's a it's kind of like a tell of the time when almost all of her songs were love songs. And mm -hmm. that kind of – like, I disconnected with that a little bit too because I just like – I'm so not in love right now, but I felt like if I was part, it's part of the business too. She was a nightclub singer, right? Like, so people, people at the time are in the nightclub with their loved ones, uh, with their you know? loved ones. And, and like, yeah. And so a lot of them being focused on that is like, yeah. Although there were a handful of songs w that we'll talk about later when we talk about songs that's, that go that's, way beyond that. Those are the ones I locked onto the hardest. And like, they probably yeah. weren't as like much, the ones that probably people look at with Billie Holiday. But mm -hmm. like for me, when she did songs that weren't about love, I was like, I, right. this is what I wanted to hear more of. And it's unfortunate that it's, you know, a part, it's just like a part of the time where like, you know, love songs sell, like it's, you know, it's fun to talk about. And it's still like, people still do love songs. I mean, that's now. still the just, case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like what people consider love now is a little different, you know, like, Throat Baby, for example, is just so sensual and It's loving. not a love song. It's, not... it's a love song. <laughs> I mean, it's about, it's about, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a love song. It's a Greg, love song. Greg, tell us, tell us about Billie Holiday. Really? I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Go um, ahead, Greg. If, if I have the floor or the yeah, mic. You do. Um, I'm handing you the talking stick now. For me, I'll admit, as we stated before, going through her catalog on Spotify is an absolute clusterfuck. 
Yeah. And since I was kind of more just like, okay, what do we have for actual albums? In which, of course, her actual albums or 12 inches didn't start until the 50s. Right. Most of what I listened to, admittedly, was kind of more of that era. And, of course, I did go back and listen to some of the DECA stuff. There was a couple DECA compilations on there that um, I listened to. Of course, they had Strange Fruit and uh, right. I Cover the Waterfront and a few other songs on there that... I did enjoy the overall performances that Billie Holiday did in really any era that I listened to, because even during the 50s when her voice was clearly not at its best. A shadow of its former self, I would say. Um, But her delivery and the way that she thinks about music doesn't change. Her ability does, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. obviously the ability definitely kind of goes kind of quick, but... Um, honestly, I still liked most of what she, of her vocal performance, because it still mm-hmm. did fit with the instrumentation of the time, and especially on, like, the later 50 records, where, like, uh, the band, her backing band had, like, clean guitar started to come in more, the instrumentation and the rhythm kind of started picking up a little bit, like, there was actually more swing instrumentation going on that was a little bit more energetic than just the super slow vocal jazz stuff and which granted for me I really didn't get into jazz until about maybe college just because in high school I was I was a hard rock boy I listened to nothing but hard rock radio nothing but rock Yeah. yeah and uh listening to more jazz and really dissecting the art form and really appreciating it for what it is. And which now, of course, some of my favorite records are jazz records that really break the mold of different ways of approaching, uh, the medium A uh, vocal jazz was never quite the genre for me because mm-hmm. a lot of the time it would be that super, super slow and quiet instrumentation where obviously the vocalist is the main focus, but nothing else captures my attention. So the vocalist really has to sell it. Mm-hmm. In Billie Holiday's case, she does. Right. With the exception that the production on the 30s and 40s for the time being complete and utter ass. Right. Um, so that that's obviously a little bit, obviously not her fault. It was just the production of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's those kind of little things on the production and the rhythms of those times where I'm just like falling asleep in the car Right. Trying to drive at like six in the morning and was going, fuck, fuck. <laughs> so the fifties and the fifties ones, um, I kind of appreciated just a little bit more in terms of instrumentation and production, just obviously because the production was a lot more full. By the time the fifties came around, they were putting like full orchestras behind her and stuff like that. There yeah. was kind of more of a business behind what she was doing at that point. Yeah. Frank, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and all those guys were doing yeah. records like hers. So they were putting more people in the room on the recordings. Yeah. First, so. Funny enough, it was actually Lady in Satin where she actually does do a full orchestra. Yeah. That I really did not like it at all. Just because that super it's classical, weird, that, that super classical sound it's nice it's pretty but of course when you're matching that with billy holidays at that point super chain smoke dry vocals to me it just was not clicking the way that like some really nice 
jazz in the background did. So that it's, change in instrumentation, I think, really was... And it was something she wanted to do. She actively sought out this particular orchestra to do it. So it's not like she didn't have any artistic control over it. So, you know, happy that she did that for herself. It's absolutely unfortunate that by the time the production and the money is there for her to do a big orchestra record, her voice is not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and and that's just a factor that comes in with the end of it. Do you have anything more to add? or? Um, I think the last little bit, just to summarize it, because I'm sure we'll go over different eras and different projects sure. specifically sure. Um, as this progresses, um, that overall... I kind of respected her work more than I overall enjoyed it. And I think mm -hmm. part of it is just the production stuff. It's just, unfortunately, the type of thing that's just not super ear pleasant to me and the type of stuff that she did. Um, I appreciated her, just the backing stuff that usually was in the stereotype of vocal jazz. I didn't care for. Um, and later on down the career, the music got a little more interesting. And I think her voice did fit that even if her vocals weren't as good as the early stuff mm -hmm. um so at the end of the day it's just like i'm not sure if i'll come back around to her stuff as much but i can sure. at least respect their existence and obviously acknowledge how influential it was but that's that's about it in contrast to you uh for my piece i will say vocal jazz is the version of jazz that really interests me uh, to a degree that i would go as far as to say vocal jazz is kind of my shit um in in like a big way love frank sinatra stuff love sammy davis jr stuff um i was fascinated by billy holiday this week uh i listened to an Evening with Billie Holiday from 1953, Songs for Torching from 1955, Solitude from 1956, Recital from 1956, Velvet Mood from 1956. <laughs> the albums are funny because she, very clearly they like, she was singing in the nightclub in New York at night and then she would go into the studio during the day and just keep recording things. And so you get these yeah, sort of a like... A lot of these would be done in like one or two sessions. They would just crank yeah. this shit out. It's just how it, they operated back then. And so for a lot of the cases, especially in the 50s, it's literally just like 56, 56, 56, like four <laughs> albums in a year because they're just doing them during the day. Oh my God, finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 1957's uh, Billie Holiday on Commodore. I listened to the complete... Commodore Decca Masters, which uh, out of any of these, like if I'm like one album that is spectacular from her, it's the Commodore Decca Masters compilation, which is uh, contains, I think, b uh, almost all of the work that you would want to hear from her. Um, mm. It's essentially, uh, there's more that you can listen to, but the Commodore Decca, the Decca stuff specifically is like, this is fucking great. Like for the most part, the really early stuff is still struggling with the 78 production, but there's stuff near the middle and end of her Decca run where like, oh man, production just suddenly became like decent <laughs> on these records and you can fucking hear them. And I don't know what kind of state their master tapes were in at the time or whatever was going on, you know? Um, but, uh, but it, it's definitely, there's like a notable jump halfway through her sort of deck of stint. Uh, jazz at the Philharmonic expanded, which 
is a live album from 1954 I listened to. Lady Sings the Blues from 1956. Lady in Satin, the Centennial Edition, which is really interesting because they give you the album and then they just sort of give you all of the recordings from the sessions um, with all the talk and everything over them. It's like super, super cool to go and check out. Um, all or Nothing at All from 1958 uh, and songs for Distinct... Oh, dis, distinct? Distantique. I, I think... I think that's what it was. Lovers from 1957. I also watched the 2020 documentary Billy, the 2020 uh, movie The United States versus Billy Holiday, of which I would suggest the documentary Billy and maybe not the movie uh, of uh, The United States versus Billy Holiday. And I also read her 1956 autobiography Lady Sings the Blues, which was ghostwritten by William Dufty. Um, which I would say is the dark horse piece of Billie Holiday media that I would suggest to fucking anybody. That book is incredible. Uh, it's ghostwritten. I'm just, as an aside here, it's ghostwritten. If people have a problem with that, uh, I beg you to read an autobiography that isn't ghostwritten, and I think you'll have less of a problem with it. Um, because <laughs> uh, writing is a difficult job, and so it's helpful to have someone there to help you write your autobiography. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, and from time to time, people have brought up some things in that book that they're like, this may be how she remembers it, but the facts don't really line up here. That's the case with most autobiographies. You're you're listening to a story that is intrinsically touched by the perspective of the person telling the story, right? Um, and... Uh, but I think that the book is magical and will really, man, it's like a few months ago I watched that movie, um, uh, uh, Harriet, uh, the Harriet Tubman biopic that they made. Um, and, and watching that sort of stuff, you know, it, it's in some cases less than a hundred years ago we're talking about. That's a little longer than that, but not that much longer. Um, and it's in some ways exactly like it is now and in some ways it feels like a completely different dimension and i think one of the most incredible things for a musician to do but anybody who's really interested and people know i'm not like a big reader i don't go and like read stuff all the time i don't it's not something that i enjoy i'm very audible um but uh but i read through the whole book and it uh man the lives of somebody who is black and living in that time that she came up, uh, the things she told in that book and the stories that she tells and the context that she gives to these recordings are, is unbelievable. Um, and is the, is I would maybe out of the, everything I listened to and watched and read, it would be that autobiography and, uh, uh, the complete Commodore Decca masters are the things that are like fucking awesome. Um, yeah, she's she's uh, really really incredible, and uh, and I had a blast uh, listening to her stuff this week. But it it's not it's not something that I would use as background music to do things unless my plan was to sleep or to read a book or <laughs> whatever you know, like do uh, computer work at a time where I was fully awake. Uh, those would be a the, lot times of the time I was I able to do. dissect. It was when I was just doing like some chores around the house, but I had right. like my speakers going and I could hear it all around. So I could have it as nice background music. I could definitely not listen to that at work because mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of noise. 
K-Bart said uh, K-Bart has a little thing to weigh in on, too. I was a big fan yeah. of the blues she sang. Also a fan of the static. Uh, with the nightclub songs, I laughed at the asshole who was yelling, woo, like fucking flair on a couple of the live tracks. So, woo! Thanks for the contribution, uh, It's a completely different, like, business that she's operating in. It's really kind of funny because contrasting the autobiography with the documentary that they made, you can kind of glean some things about the business that are absolutely foreign and insane to people who work in music now um she was banned from new york for a large section of the 50s unable to play there because she didn't have what they call a cabaret license uh which a performer had to have in order to perform music in bars um so basically if you wanted to be a musical performer you were subject to whether or not you were approved by some board of people in new york in order to be able to play in those bars and if the bars let you play without this uh license uh they would they could be closed down for it um and so th like just little things like that they're just like well, how the fuck did the world work that way uh just like nobody would uh travel which she wasn't uh she was able to travel around but new york city was particularly a spot that's why you see late in her career it's like kind of just carnegie hall and broadway that she's able to perform on um it, it's uh i i it was a kind of a, a mind-bending uh, week for me with her and and there were a lot of songs that i was really interested in strange strange fruit is maybe the one that's most notable that we should talk about mm -hmm. i'm sure everybody had experience with it with it being her kind of huge song mm. um uh, she apparently, uh, this song was written for her, a song that she had picked up from a, a local poet, uh, who had, uh, expressed, uh, an interest in having her do a version of it, set it to music. So she got together with her arranger and made that happen, which is actually kind of interesting, not super common for, um, uh, nightclub singers and vocal jazz singers like her to have a host of songs where either, they were intimately involved in the lyrical recording uh, and writing, or uh, in her case, there's a handful of them that she wrote herself, um, which is kind of wild uh, for that time. Um, even after that, uh, it would have been unusual for someone to have done that. Um, but she uh, did this song, Strange Fruits, uh, and had it apparently got right up a lot of people's noses and I, I adored listening to it for the first time because I was like this song doesn't make a statement about anything all this song does is holds up a mirror to what is actually happening in America what still ha what happened last year in America um, because uh, lynching is still not a federal crime in the United States of America. Murder is, lynching is not, which will blow your fucking mind if you do any research on that. Um, it's what it's uh, this, but this song uh, she apparently decided to continue doing after the death of her father. Uh, the death, her father apparently died um, of uh, pneumonia 
down in the he was living down in the south. He ended up uh, uh, trying to go around to a bunch of doctors. None of them would let him in because of Jim Crow laws and all that shit. And uh, eventually, he got to a hospital. And by the time he got to a hospital that would take him, they were like, they were like, we can't really do anything for you. And so, despite all of the big issues with federal agents that this song garnered her uh, by federal agents who uh, people have come out after the fact and been like, yeah, they were fucking horrible racists. Um, she conti- decided to continue to sing it because it really meant something to her. Um, I don't know what your experience with this song was, Greg. I thoroughly enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's definitely one of her best vocal performances because it really bears down on that very emotional topic. And like you said, it's not really making a statement. It's pretty much just saying, hey, here's literally this, what's fucking happening. <laughs> this this thing happens. It does There's not strange say... strange fruit hanging from the popham trees in which, right, right. you know, anyone can read into that. It's like, oh, this is about lynching. It, oh, yeah. that's what you mean by fruit. Fuck. And yeah, not not a surprise. A lot of racists were like, "Yeah, so." <laughs> well, it, it that's had so much what... pain in it too, and I think that was the part that like really stood out to me was like when you when you hear someone like singing, like you know, a lot of the time it's like expressing emotions of like triumph or feeling good or something like that. But when you have someone who sings about something really sad or like dark and stuff and dreary, like. I don't know, like, and so, and they're good. They're a good singer, like, it's, it really just captivates you. And like that one definitely captivated me the most, like, out of her catalog. Yeah, just because it's it's one of those songs where really, and I think it's also because it really stands out amongst her catalog as not being just another love or torch song. Mm-hmm. It really was, and her performance was like truly emotional. You could just hear it in every single note that she was hitting. Right. And the way that she was expressing it, truly, no one was doing that. And I don't think anybody's done even remotely like sense. Like, there's a reason that song still holds up to this day. Production problems aside, like I love yeah. the shit out of this song. Yeah, the production, the production on the on the side is rough. Uh, but uh, I think the song is really magical. And and you're right. I don't think anyone's done it since because I don't think you can produce that song again. In that, like, the environment that she produced it in is the reason why it's gutsy. Yeah. Um, is the reason why it's important. She does a couple of really interesting things vocally in that song that made me go, that's, she's fucking brilliant at this point. Yeah. Um, most notably, the ending of the song. The ending of the song, she kind of builds up this very uh, easy melodic th- through line throughout the song. Um, uh, to come to the end and the end is supposed to come down on, um, the root. Uh, it ends really easily on the root. You can hear it as she's about to, and she's sort of retarding as she gets there. And so when she's about to land on that last note, you're like, that's the last note. That's going to be the resolution. And instead in every performance I've ever hear her, heard her do it, she picks a different, often completely not correct note to end it on uh which i can't see as anything because i know she can hit the the note is so obvious i can't see it as anything other than a creative choice to be like 
I have an opportunity here to end you in a way that will feel like it has closure, in a way that will feel natural and correct and right, and I am not going to do that. Um, which, with the song Subject Matter, I can't talk to her now. I don't know if that was an intentional choice. She says nothing about it in the autobiography, but... The fact that she does it every single time, I'm like, this has to have been something that was discussed, and I think it's absolutely brilliant for that song. Mm. Um, were there any other songs that really struck you from her catalog? Um, admittedly, like I said, a lot of the stuff that I really gravitated toward was the 50s catalog, just because mm -hmm. of the production improvements, and I think mm -hmm. more of the instrumentation being just slightly more interesting for my taste. The, the other um, thing that's important to note is that a lot of the 50s catalog, she's redoing a lot of the 40s songs. Oh yeah, no, there's um, definitely a lot of that, too. Yeah. Um, and which usually the renditions are pretty interesting, usually not sure. like way off what the originals were compositionally, mm -hmm. but just the way that they were performed. And of course, the production was a little bit better. Let me pull up my playlist here, because I usually for every album I listen to, I try to pick up like three tracks that I really thoroughly enjoyed here. Where are you? There you are. Uh, let me see if we're going for the albums here. I think my favorite ones were toward the end with uh the songs for distingue lovers mm -hmm. um in particular uh day in day out i thought was a really solid intro uh just one of those things take eight i really enjoyed just how much swing there was to that song and her yeah. vocal performance on top of that was really nice also um stay with me i thought was a really solid album too uh Ain't misbehaving. I'm saving my love for you, and don't do and do nothing till you hear from me. Do really nothing till you hear from me is awesome. Yeah, that's no, a I great love that song. song, especially as a closer. That's like really awesome. And I didn't like that the version that she did on uh, the follow up album, which was the uh, All or Nothing at All, the re recording mm -hmm. of it. I just thought it was kind of like, okay, well this this exists. It's not bad. It's just like, it's like, it's like, why, why do it was literally the album that followed it up. The fuck, <laughs> but, um, songs like, uh, ones I really enjoyed were ill wind, which kind of had a more bluesy guitar tone to it. Speak low almost was borderline bossa Nova in certain rhythm areas that I really enjoyed. Like that's the kind of rhythmic shit that I really enjoy. Um, and her vocal performance on that too. She was just bouncing all over it. And it was, I loved that. Um, and also the title track to All or All or Nothing at All. I really enjoy the hell out of that one too. Yeah, really, a lot of the, she, she oh. always has like good moments on every album. It's just mm -hmm. you know that it's not what it could have been if she didn't chain smoke a pack a fucking day. <laughs> Carton, which is ten pack. Carton, uh, yeah, which is uh, a whole. There's a particularly funny part in the autobiography where she talks about going to jail, and she's like, and they'd only let you have three packs a week and she was like and that was the fucking worst <laughs> that was a, the, the autobiography she is uh, uh i was surprised by how the more you learn about her the more you're like man she was like fucking wild like you think of old people it's funny the more research you do into the way things were back then it's like it's a completely different world than the way that it would like to have presented itself as like cocaine and heroin and 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 uh sex like all of these things were were more out in the open than yeah. they are now oh yeah uh, yeah. by a long shot and uh, the book is uh is full of her 
uh, her voice and her stories, which are all like, no, like if, if she's if you're somebody of uh, of her descent at that time trying to make it in America, like she was fucking tough. She was a tough person. She was a bad bitch for sure. She was a rock star before rock music was actually a thing. She mm-hmm. uh she was mm-hmm. not sanded down whatsoever. And there's so many lines in the book that are just like like it sounds like a book that a rapper wrote. It's ridiculous. Like she refers to anybody else as like these fucking bitches like in the book <laughs> It's like, oh my god. Uh, she, this was from the she, 1950s? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but she was old school, though, too. Like, she reminded me of, like, uh, so I had a Nana growing up, like, because my mom basically, like, raised us on her own and shit. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, I go to my dad's and stuff a bit, but, like, uh, my Nana Pat, like, she was, like, old school as hell, too. And, like, there's definitely some similarities. I mean, like, Pat was, like, she was more kind of like good Christian like, but like, sure. I mean, you could tell like there was a little bit of like some old school vibes there, and like, like I don't know. That's why like so like the old grit. I don't know. It's just like you, the song. Can we talk about the song "Taint Nobody's Business"? If I do, I love. Okay, ain't nobody's business. If I, I really like that song. Like that was the kind of shit that really stuck out to me. Right, and like, like that one. I really liked. Um, uh, the other one was uh, "Give Me a Pigfoot in a Bottle of Beer." Yes, also on my list. Yeah, that one like, made me laugh a lot. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was just like, but like that, like, so my na- my my nana Pat, like, she like literally like used to feed like when we were kids, like, because my mom was like a health nut and shit, and Pat would mm-hmm. be like, they need like some soul, you know what I mean? Like, so she hook us yeah. up with pork rinds and shit take us for some meets and threes and shit like that after church, like old school, like fucking Southern (laughs) shit. And like, yo, like that shit literally was like, I bet you Pat like jammed out to this. Like when no one was like watching, you know what I mean? Like it's had that vibe. It was just kind of like, give me a pig foot and a beer. You know what I mean? Like, and it it also, it was just kind of like the old timey, like woman's power version of one bourbon, one scotch, one beer kind of vibes. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That same kind of like, yes, sir. Let me get that, that pig foot in that beer. And I'm set. Like, it's such a distinctly unladylike thing to ask for. Like, like it's a pig foot. Like if you've ever seen anybody eat a pig foot, it's fucking nasty. And so I, I love that. She's particularly like, it's her song of being like, like straight up, like one of the guys. She's like, no, nah, I'd like, I'd rather be one of the fucking guys than fucking walking around, which is so antithetical to what her issue, beautiful gowns and shit like that. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then, but taint, taint nobody business. If I do, that's the one I want to talk about. Cause like, it was so old school. It just kind of like, like, I don't talk shit. Like you don't talk shit about me. Like, it's just kind of like, it's like old school shit that like people who like understand how the world works, live their lives by. Like in one way or another, right. like, like how to like fucking handle the haters, like how to like, I don't know. I'm just trying to like, kind of like relate it to like nowadays when like, yeah, someone's figuring out life and like having a big social life. And when like you, you live in a world where like the world's watching you basically like maybe like how it was with her, but like, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of rappers have the same like basically all all solo artists have this problem of like yeah. they either figure it out that you know this is my shit don't fucking judge me like i'm just going to be who right. i am or they try and like bend to, they or they try and like bend the knee to like society 
And like, it's so punk rock in a way with that song. I mean, in like the last verse, I was like, eh, you kind of lost me. Like when she was just like, I don't care if my man beats me. I won't, I'm not, I'm not going to tell the cops. I was like, that's some old school shit. You know what I mean? Like I would definitely advocate and like report domestic abuse. I don't think it's ever okay uh, for a partner to hit another partner uh, in a non-consensual way. That's not. I, sexual. I don't at all, <laughs> and I I would urge anyone who's listening to this if that's something that's your. Please call the authorities and report this immediately. Like never okay. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's abuse. I feel that like that's be... common sense at this point, or at least you would think it would be in 2021. But every now and again, you kind of have to be like, hey, remember, domestic violence is pretty fucking bad. Don't do it. Yeah. Thank Anyways, you. <laughs> yeah, my social, my social, my social work alarms just went off like crazy. I was like, honey, like you got to do something. Absolutely. Like, but, but I will say, I want to say, it, I understand, I understand the reasoning for that, that line being in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. because too, she like... wanted, she wanted something to be in the song. That's like, even if you think that you are helping me by getting yourself involved with my personal life, it doesn't mean that you have the right. Yeah. To know exactly. or be involved in my personal life if I don't want you to be, which yeah. is such like a like kind of a, a a celebrity thing now. Like all celebrities say that, but to hear it so plain statedly said in this song, I was like, this song is like Dude, it so was close so... to being like, get the fuck out of my life. It was so raw. It was so oh, raw, yeah. dude. Like I was just like. <laughs> yo like this is the kind of shit i'd like like from that i don't want to hear about like some fucking like fantasy land fucking like bullshit about love and stuff because like i've been in that magical place it's definitely magical and everything but like i don't need like 90 percent of the music to be like this and like when i got those little remnants of like who she was i was like yes honey like like sing it like <laughs> sing it like i want to hear about it in your voice like with your like you know, oh man, that was the the shit for me. I love that stuff, and I like what she did with Louis Armstrong a lot too. Um, uh, the, sweet uh, hunk like, of trash. My sweet hunk of trash was like yeah. a jam. <laughs> I like their bickering too. I was just like, oh, like that's so nice. Like, I just love how much shit talking there was in the band. It was just fucking comedic, but fun and like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was just great. Like hearing that whole yeah, the vibe. sessions that they did a lot were very much free flowing. For a mm -hmm. lot of it, like you could hear every little thing, every little fuck up, or every little like <laughs> someone yeah. laughing in the background. It's just like, <laughs> dude, I I, yeah. I feel like they had to have hooked up too. Did they? They ever? They never like publicly I don't, said they dude, did. Dude, but... it's they never publicly said they did. The book, she never talks about sex in the book. Almost, not. almost well, never talks. You have to about look it. at. So what's really unfortunate about like black women from like then mm -hmm. and probably there's still some stuff like that now is that concept of like either um being like a mammy or a um or a uh jezebel thing you know what i'm talking about like that was like a weird really fucked up kind of like racial uh accusation become has now become an undertone in like a lot of culture nowadays too with that which is why like you have people like Cardi B and stuff like that, who are trying to be like extremely sexual and to kind of just put mm -hmm. it in people's faces. Like I am a, I am a woman too, even though I'm black and like, I have my sexual desires too, that I want fulfilled. And like, this is, I'm norm, I'm going to normalize it in like an yeah. in your face sort of attitude. And like, but she had to kind of live in that like society where 
you had to be really careful about that kind of shit because of I would time. Yeah, I would agree with that to some extent. Although, while the book doesn't really talk about sex, the documentary people are like, she had sex with she. Uh, her background, she was a prostitute at the age of fourteen. Yeah. Um. And 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 stayed a call girl for years and years and years in different operations until she started singing. Uh. Basically. Um. And so uh, the documentary is straight up like women, men, she was with fucking like, again, it was one of those things of like learning about how different the world was back then. It's like, oh, you'd think that. Uh, well, I'm not saying that. No, I know. The... I know that that was probably all there. I'm saying that like she couldn't really talk on that like in oh yeah no in, no in not way. not you know uh, I mean? or like, I, I don't know there's a lot there's a lot in that book that i'm like man this thing is just this is full of stuff that i wouldn't have expected to have been printed at the time but for whatever reason she shies away from sex pretty heavily yeah um, yeah and i think it, i think some of it has to do with that like really fucked up like cultural expectation like yeah that still is on goes on today it's like why you have people so up in arms about uh, sexualization with women in music, like especially in rap, because it's obviously a more predominantly black uh, music, and like it's 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 crazy that like even back then, like to now, like not a lot has changed with that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but I mean, she definitely she was still doing her damn thing, and like I love that she was, and like she like in her own personal life, like that taint not business with mine or whatever like you know like she basically was saying it without saying it like i'm gonna fuck who i want i'm gonna do what i want and i'm just gonna live my fucking life like you know what i mean right like, when you but when you buy a ticket to my show or one of my records you are entitled to listen to my show or listen to my record and that's all that's of it. me that you own yeah exactly yeah and i love that about like that kind of stuff yeah it was it, yeah i mean like she she's Man, if I would have been honored to have met her in her early age, like, you know what I mean? Like in like, you know, her 20s or whatever, like and just like hung out with her, like and probably be fall in love with her and like understand her love songs. But like from my point of view, man. Uh, uh, there's a handful of songs that are like that where you listen to it and you're like, the ones <laughs> the ones where she wrote the lyrics, it's incredibly obvious. <laughs> Because her voice is so different than anybody else who is writing vocal jazz at that time. Another one is Don't Explain, um, which she does uh, on some of the later records, but was kind of a big hit for her uh, in the 78 days. Uh, Don't Explain is literally a song that she wrote um, after having a, uh, finding out that her boyfriend was cheating on her. And uh, uh, the song is basically like, look, I, I don't I don't want to know about it. Like things are going to be how they're going to be. But I don't want to know about it. which is not something someone would communicate now. I feel like they would go to the hyperbole of like, hey, don't ever, uh, you know, fucking cheat on me. Fucking no, whatever, but that right? still goes on, uh, though. You know what I mean? Like some people. Really sure, like, it does. Like it's and I think like, honestly, I don't know a lot of that history. Like until you just brought it up now in the podcast. But like, mm -hmm. you know, she didn't have an easy life for sure like i no. mean considering she was a prostitute at 14 like i'm going to go f and say that there's probably a tremendous amount of trauma there like, oh my god dude dude the book mm -hmm. I, like i said read yeah. the book 
Uh, yeah. I, even if you're not a book reading person, if you're a musician and you want to kind of understand, uh, or anybody, the stories she tells in that book are are wild. Yeah, like uh, like I, I think, blew my mind. And I think but. some of that trauma also like because you know like she obviously is like it seems like from what her content is like with Tano Buddy's business of mine, like the other right. song about the man cheating on her and just don't tell me about it. Like it's clear there's got to be some abandonment things going on. Like, oh, big time, big time, and there's got to be like you know there, there's there's obviously like this sense of like just like this amazingly old soul trapped in a person who's been hurt a lot, and mm-hmm. and so like obviously you hear that and they're singing, but like man, like she her life is just a really tough one, and like you can tell there's like like that old school shit too. Like my my grandma was the same way. Like she was an alcoholic. And like she never cried once in like my mom's life, basically, or and she's still alive today. And she does like she's just like people like from that era are just fucking built different, dude. Like I swear to God, like this yeah. lady like when she had COVID in the hospital at ninety, and like the moment she was better, yeah. she's just complaining to my mom about some shit that has nothing to do with anything. Like she's just like she's on a whole nother fucking level. Like every like and she's from New York too. Like she's from the Upper East Side. So like. You know, right. like those people who were like born in that era and like, you know, grew up like in New York are just like fucking savages. And like, you know, they they drank like crazy. They partied like crazy. Like, you know, like they had their like morals, but they broke them constantly behind do- closed doors, <laughs> like on a constant basis. Like they did so many drugs. Like it was just mm-hmm. like debauchery and like pure degeneracy like to a level that we joke about now like we are we're fucking pussies compared to these people like (laughs) they were just on a different level like they had they went through the great depression you know what i mean like they were bugging out if you like if you waste like my grandma used to fucking crack open like chicken bones and eat the marrow out because she didn't want to waste it and she had plenty of money like she had a townhouse in long island like when we were older like she had a (laughs) three-story house and she's just like cracking open fucking chicken bones off a thigh. I'm like, yo, like, relax with dude. all that. Like, and like, dude, I mean, like, you can just see it earn her vibe. You know what I mean? Like, she's just like, so, like, she went through so much shit and that's all they knew. So, like, it makes so much sense that, like, you know, she went and resorted to alcohol, like, as much as she did and, like, smoking. Cause, like, man, like, heroin. Go she through, was really into heroin. Yeah. Oh, I mean, pff, like, talk about medicine for like trauma. Uh, you know, one eight hundred heroin is your is your best bet to you know close off some of those feelings. Not a, not, not an endorsement for heroin on the. I am uh, not Rob endorsing the use of heroin. I am saying that like <laughs> a lot of people who do heroin have a very troubled history, and it's understandable as to why people resort to that and why it explains why so many people are suffering from that obviously um but anyways like back to billy about all this stuff like you know it's so clear in like a lot of her subject matter with her music like the era you know like how she kind of like needed that love in her life but like was Mm -hmm. okay with just letting things slide if it meant that she could get human connections with people who cared about her and loved her like it's it right. almost kind of feels like she lived so much of her life without loving it that like she was chasing that as much as she well, could. Th- I feel like generally people expected less 
out of life. Like they were fine with things being with life being harder because uh, yeah. it just was back then. And uh, but her especially. Yeah. I, the, I mean, the book talks about her getting stuff planted on her by the FBI and like being like, tell him to get the fuck out of the car and like, dr- like high speed chase with the fucking FBI with this lady uh so like she was she was fucking hard man and everything i read about like i i'm not a person to sit down and read a fucking 250 page book or whatever but i was like every page i turned i was like this chick is fucking hard dude she's any anybody uh nobody fucking with this chick man she was awesome uh my favorite song that i listened to this week was a song of hers called god bless the child um because i just love the feel of it it's got a very what a wonderful world feel to it um and uh was written as basically like uh a diss track uh for her mother um who apparently she had lent a bunch of money to and then when she went to ask money from her mother her mother was like yeah i can't help you uh and so she went she went into the into uh uh, the studio and recorded this song about like well fine if you know like I, I thought this was one thing but apparently it's just me giving you all this money and so like I guess I'm just gonna go and and get my own thing and whatever um super uh super like uh, how do you write a, a like kind of a beautiful kind song that's also like really shitty and scathing to the right person right um and i just i love the feel of it um i got a handful of others that i like but the big ones for me are uh god bless the child strange fruit uh ain't nobody's business if i do um please don't talk about me when i'm gone which is a standard but i think she does the best version of it having heard a few people do it at this point um uh, Pigfoot in a bottle of beer, I think is great. Uh, my sweet hunk of trash. Um, and, uh, uh, you better go now. I liked, um, I, I think she does the best version of nice work. If you can get it as well, uh, on a couple of albums, <laughs> she goes back to that song quite a bit. Um, and, uh, her song, no good man, I think is really good as well. Um, a bunch of stuff I liked from, uh, Commodore and, uh, and Decca. Um, whereas the later stuff for me, the, you know, it's really, really hard because she dies of cirrhosis, uh, a few, like maybe a year after that last record comes out. Um, and you, you can definitely, it's, it's a gradient. You can hear it go towards that thing as she gets there when she finally, uh, uh, does, uh, get there. Um, it's super duper tragic and any photos or videos that you see from around that time, you can see that, um, she's clearly fighting with something and she's uh losing um yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh and it's uh it's uh, pretty uh pretty tragic and and horrible that that's the end of it especially because it, it really does feel like something that like man she was right there to make this moment happen just before it would have been maybe the greatest just before uh, a bunch of people came along and did versions of her act that were able to do much better and get themselves kind of more set up and popular. Yeah, if she was able to, if she was able to get clean during the fifties, I th- and she did for a time. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time it got to the big orchestra record, like the Frank Sinatra kind of mm-hmm. orchestra 
jazz kind of thing. It just was not there. It's tragic for me because I love those the sound of those records, the production sound of a, a singer in an orchestra, and they're in the same room, and they're they're going through these songs together. That's a sound that appeals to my taste personally. And so by the time she gets there, her sounding, her being a 44-year-old woman who sounds like she's like a 68-year-old woman uh, yeah. is really tough. Yeah, and I do like a little bit of like the Frank Sinatra, a little bit of that style mm -hmm. of vocal jazz with the orchestra kind of in the background. It's just not a genre that I normally go to. So in comparison mm -hmm. to like that record with the other 50s records where she's still more in that jazz type of field, mm -hmm. to me it was just such a contrast. And I think part of it was because her voice was definitely not where it could have been. Where if yeah. she was, if her vocals were almost as good as they were in, you know, the late 30s, early 40s recordings, mm -hmm. and, you know, stayed there for that moment, it probably would have been pretty damn good. Yeah. But, unfortunately, it just kind of came off like, maybe I'll take this as an instrumental record. It's pretty stark. Sorry. It's pretty friggin' stark. Uh, oh, yeah. to, to a degree that I don't know that I've ever heard another vocalist where I was like, wow, this is like 10 years removed. And yeah. the voice is in a completely different place. Um, usually it, it doesn't, it takes a lot longer than that for that yeah. to happen. But of course, things, I, things I think were probably happening. actually what made the later records maybe work for me a little bit better was because the instrumentation was a bit more loose and allowed her to sure. kind of experiment with her vocal style a little bit more while still being kind of in the lower kind of drier end that she was currently in at that time. But it was still able to flow through the instrumentation very well. Whereas, with the orchestra, it's an extreme contrast in comparison to something that was like <laughs> Speak Low, which is borderline bossa nova and right. all or nothing at all. And then you go into the orchestra part and you're just like, oh, shit. Take that track off, please. <laughs> how, many, how many slaps, Greg? Um, for me, like I said earlier, I respect the work, I think, more so than I enjoy it. There might be a couple records uh, if I saw on vinyl, especially the uh, Commodore uh, Decca records. I would probably get some of those. Um, maybe a couple of the 50s ones, but otherwise it's not something I would personally come back to very much. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, excellent vocalist. Just obviously some of the production things just weren't for me. And by the time the production picked up, her vocals, unfortunately, kind of faltered a little bit. Um, Overall, yeah, you got to kind of pick your poison on it, right? Like, it's yeah. like, which version of this do you want? Yeah, right? it's either great performances with shit recording or <laughs> pretty damn good recording, but eh, not as good vocal. But yeah, overall, it was kind of a wash for me. So I, I can't give it a two by any means. I, I give it a three. I give her a three. Okay. True. Um, yeah, for me, uh, some of the same feelings is Greg. Um, it's, it's hard for me to like find places where I would be like, man, I really want to listen to some Billie Holiday right now. Um, just from like what I now know, because I came right. into it really fucking blind. Now for those settings <laughs> that it would work, I think it works really well. 
And yeah, I think that, um, you know, if I'm in a loving sort of situation, once again, with a very special person in the future, you know, I think that they would sit really well there. Or if I'm vibing out nice little Sunday evening dinner, yeah, you know, or if I'm vibing out by myself with, uh, a robe and like a like a cup of tea on like a nice rainy day. I think it would work out then as well if I'm just vibing and just trying not to do anything for that day, which is very rare for yeah. me right now because I'm a very busy person. But right, if it's there, it's there. And then I'll like it would definitely go into my selection of music with like Frank Sinatra and like you know things like that, just like relaxing, you know, vibe out, jazzy type stuff. Um, you know, like some Coltrane and some you know, Davis and stuff, but I don't know. Um, I, I can't give it a five for myself because there's just too many situations where uh, it would, it would be hard for me to want to like listen to it. You know, uh, it's a very specific setting sort of thing, but I want, I would have <laughs> given it a three if it wasn't for how special of a woman she is and like how much I've learned about her as a person. And also, uh, the music itself and her singing, like how good her technique is and like some of the content, uh, it's a pretty solid four for me. It's not, it's not quite a five, but it, we're fucking close for sure. Drew uh, consistent fours. <laughs> I actually, yeah. Yeah. So actually I'm like, his, I'm like his, Randy uh, from American Idol. His, I'm most out here just giving out like good reviews every time. <laughs> his his uh, pairing is, uh, is excellent. He's done four slaps on everybody so far. Oh, God damn it! I'm becoming the Simon because I'm doing the three now. Although, to my defense, no. you did... Bryce gave I, a two on I was chemical, the first. So. I was the first one to give a two. But like I said, like we've always said, the slaps are based on uh, p- uh, personal, preference personal preference for the music more than anything, right? So, uh, personal preference for me, Billie Holiday, was a five. This is the first time that I have happened upon an artist. Uh, yeah, when you get that... The, the thing that this whole show is in search of is hopefully one of us uh, uh, or or you at home finds that moment where you find a new artist and you're like, oh, yes. Yes, please. Uh, and Billie Holiday was that artist for me this week. And the, the first time it's really happened on the show, even with Run DMC, I was like, this is fucking great. This is just fucking great, right? Uh, and and they got a five for that. Uh, but uh, Billie Holiday for me, I was, you know, and, and part of it, I will fully admit, I had a predisposition for enjoying this type of music. Uh, and, uh, and, but I, you know, as is very clear by the fact that I listened to like 15 albums and read a book and fucking watched two movies and shit like that. Like I was into it. Um, and someone's uh, an overachiever. I had one of those moments. Okay, so I saw the book and I was like, "How many pages in it is it?" It's like, oh, it's like two hundred ten pages. I was like, eh, "Don't don't expect this every week." But I was like, "But it'd be really fucking cool if I finished this fucking book before the show." Uh, so I did. I put the time aside to do it, but it's not gonna happen every week because I don't like reading that much. Thankfully, the book was pretty easy to get through um, because it was written really really well. Um, and just full of wild shit. Oh my god. Uh, but uh, I, I, she's a she's a five for me because I had that feeling when you get into a new artist and you're like, oh my god, this is my fucking deal. Um, and uh, and I think any time that I get that feeling from an artist, 
upon listening to them, I'm like, that's, that's what a five is to me. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I would give her a five. Scooby, uh, Scooby Boobity, uh, says I wasn't vibing with the discography. Three slaps. That's fair. All right. Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, it, it's based on preference, and yeah. it is uh, a situation where, like, I think uh, the reason I'm giving it a five is because it really spoke to me. Um, that's not to say that it would work that way for anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> Scooby Booby gave a little more of a spiel too. I've mentioned to Greg in private, but pre-Beatles albums just really drag for me. The lack of any cohesion just makes it linger. Yeah, they're not a, they're not directed for being albums, right? They're they're made they're made as sides, right? So, yeah, and I think Scooby Boobity missed out on like the whole long winded discussion uh, about that Bryce gave about the way albums for her were compiled and stuff, and like the mm-hmm. whole thing about like the really old also, records. Also, this will blow this this will blow your fucking mind. The reason why she has these periods where like it's very clear that they just recorded every day for months and months and months uh is because she uh never received a royalty for basically any of her records. Yeah. Uh because they didn't really exist at the time and she was paid uh kind of at most 75 bucks to record a song. Yeah, it's like a flat and fee so, to go in the studio, which is fucking stupid. Right. She recorded she recorded all the time because she only got money when she recorded. <laughs> shit. Uh, I hate to I hate to kind of just push the podcast along this week, but I have not really no, eaten much of anything fine. today. So let's sure. let's really fast brainstorm here. What's next week? Greg, Greg, pick it. Uh, Drew and I have had artists. We've come up with artists together. We got to get an artist from Greg. Okay, I have two in mind. So I'll let you guys decide, because I know one of them, the name will probably ring out for one of you, and the other uh, probably won't recognize. The first one I was thinking was Jedi Mind Tricks, only because Vinny Paz came out with a new record, and I really enjoyed it, and I realized... I've "Ah, listened to a few albums of Jedi Mind Tricks when I was in high school. Motherfucker. Okay, so on to the (laughs) second one then, Um, because I've only listened to two records of Jedi Mind Tricks, and I'm like, well, maybe if Drew hasn't yet, but... For me, it was like three or four, Um, but still, I feel like that kind of... That kind of yeah. rules it out. At that at that point, once you hit like the three album mark, it's like I think I know what I'm getting yeah. into. Yeah. Um, and for me, the first, the only ones I've really heard in full were uh, "Servants in Heaven," "Kings in Hell," and uh, uh, whatever the 2015 record was. And that name is not on the top of my head, but that one's my. I love the fuck out. of I that could one. pull them up, but um, like it's not even worth it. So, <laughs> like the yeah, ones I was. <laughs> um, the second one I was thinking because. A famous producer and composer, uh, I believe his name was Jim Steinman, recently just passed away, and I don't remember a lot of what he was involved with, with the exception of Meatloaf. That Out of Hell, I know the trilogy, and I think most people who know Meatloaf know the trilogy, but the dude has come out with so many other goddamn records, and I have not listened to a single one. And I'm not sure if they're worth talking about, and maybe that's why people only know him for Bad of Hell, which was one of the best-selling records in history, and still right. is. Uh, Bad of Hell 2, 
literally revitalized Meatloaf's career in 1991. Yeah. And then Bad Out of Hell 3 was easily still his most commercially successful record in the 2000s, even though that one got mixed reviews. Um, but it, it just kind of made me curious of, the dude clearly has a discography, and I know we probably won't be able to touch on every single record, but it's like, what the fucker is in-betweens that people either didn't give a shit about, or were they undiscovered gems? Like, right. I'm just curious, because the dude's been around for fucking ever. A guy named Meatloaf has one of the best-selling records in fucking history. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Jim Steinman was involved in, like, two of his biggest ones. Meatloaf so. is actually not on my list, but absolutely qualifies for me, and I kind of love the idea. Me too. <laughs> but I do want to also make a side note, too, that Shock G passed away, and I know, like, Humpty Hump, but, like, that's about it. Um, mm-hmm. But he had a lot of influence on Tupac mm. Shakur's career and um, had a lot of stuff with uh, Parliament Funkadelic and was... Oh, he was involved with them? Yes. Yeah, he's done some collaborations oh. with uh, George Clinton and the rest of the gang. And also, oh, he was in Hip Hop Evolution and mentioned in there before about rap from the Bay Area. So, it, he's definitely an interesting one as well. Um, we could definitely do that, like, next week, too. I mean... Yeah. I would totally be down for a Meatloaf, then Shock G. Yeah. Sure. Follow-up. Yeah, I think that's... Sure. I think that, that sounds might be sick to point. me, man. Yeah, I think so. Meatloaf Dope. is next week's podcast. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, because like I've seen some live video stuff a little bit, and I want, I want to like that guy, but I am not sure because every time I've heard stuff on the radio from him, I'm just like, I don't know, rock opera. Like, if you're listening to this, go and download uh, Drew's uh, new uh, uh, mixtape. Uh, where at, Drew? Uh, you can find it on SoundCloud if you search for official Drewski. It'll just pop right up. And nice. you can go right there and find the thick uh the Thix tape, T H I X T A P E Volume One. It's got three brand new tracks on it that I have produced and made myself and self released. So go show them love. Free to download two of them. One has been submitted to some labels, so I don't have that one available for free download. But the other two had copyrights in them that I couldn't clear, so Free to the public, baby. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah. Uh, catch me out. every Friday on Seeing the Elite NAEW podcast. Uh, Greg, do you want to plug some YouTube stuff? Um, I am on the finishing touches of my month in music series. Now that I have the template and everything down, and uh, my uh, my work life and outside of work life is starting to kind of get back to a manageable area but uh yeah i've i finally kind of got the template down i got the editing style down so hopefully i will be able to play some catch up with the series and uh because i have playlists made for all of them so on spotify they're all public just look up the month in music you know january february april goes mm-hmm. march april 2021 just throw 2021 at the end and you will find mm-hmm. everything that i've been listening to for that entire month there long ass playlist they're over three hours long each so you will find a nice variety uh thanks for joining us on this wonderful adventure we'll be back next week with volume five meatloaf (laughs) please subscribe to the show tell your friends share it around music is better with friends as we always say here 
Uh, but for now and until then, your next favorite band is out there. Go and find them.